Welcome everybody to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Mitch Michaels here and a special show for you today. We're going to take a break out of the topical sports talk and go back into the interviews portion of this show. And I got a special guest this week that I'm excited to share with you on this week's episode. It's a standout in the sports broadcasting game and some would say the gold standard in the LA market. Now we're going to we're going to get into that in a second, but you can catch her on Clippers broadcast, CBS KCAL 9, and of course Tennis Channel's Court Report. Don't want to leave that out. She's a native New Yorker but yet somehow still a child of the South Bay. Worked as a sideline reporter, a studio host, a sports anchor, you name it, and I think holds the record for most times bumped by a car chase, but we're going <laughs> to get into that as well. Uh, and yet somehow still not even the most famous Instagram foul in her own house. It's from KCAL, from the Clippers. It's Jamie Maggio. Jamie, thanks for joining the show. What an intro. Thank you for having me on, Mitch. I'm out of breath because I think there's too much to talk about with... Uh, <laughs> Like, and that's all the time we yeah, have for today. Yeah, that's it. We just, we just, we're, we're total time allotment there. But no, Jamie, this is a pleasure. Uh, we've known each other through Tennis Channel for a little bit. And I'm just excited that uh, we get the chance to talk because I like to learn a lot about different sports professionals. And I think it's good to get that perspective. But yours is one that your career path is one that I'm very intrigued by. Uh, I didn't grow up here. I, I became aware of, of your position and place in, in the game and in the city. Uh, as I started living here. But the more I read about you, it was not just an on-air ascent to the title. You kind of back-channeled your way into the career that you have now. Yes, I threw a lot of elbows. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah, I worked, well, I worked in production uh, like you at the beginning of my career and sort of learned the ins and the outs behind the scenes. And I was very fortunate that my experience was at Fox Sports um, initially in the news division and then over at best damn sports show and i did everything from operations you know and ordering phone lines and doing site surveys for super bowls and booking travel for a long long time to then uh, booking guests and then production manager and then uh eventually made my way in in front of the camera to do the you know what i always wanted to do follow my dream so it wouldn't be like a first round lottery pick. It'd be like the late round draft pick that had to exactly. fight their way in. Yeah, bloomer. <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and I think too, this is, this goes to say, I mean, you're a person that you know, your character is in high regard based on your reputation, but that yeah. might have something to do with, you know, your upbringing, which we'll get to, but also the fact that you did have to work hard and it took you a while to make a name for yourself. Do you buy into that theory that maybe you're more grounded because it, you, you got to see the other side of the camera and it took a while to get to where you were having success in front of it? That's a, that's a good question. I've actually never thought about that. I think, I think having paid my dues, so to speak, behind the scenes has made me appreciate more um, and also just have a, a greater understanding of all that entails to, to put a broadcast on, on the air or to, you know, take a show on the road. But um, I, yeah, I think I've just also, you know, I'm a pretty chill person by nature. So I think, you know, I don't know. I remember early on thinking to myself, just always be the type of person that people want to work with. That's a great approach you to know? have, whether it's career or just a team, a sports player on a team or whatever. Totally. Yeah. And not just like for an on-air profession, but just in life, you know, just always be a good teammate. 
What was your upbringing like? Because I know there's not as much info on you as there is a lot of people out there. I, I try to pride myself on research, but you've done a good job of staying <laughs> secluded, so to speak, in this modern era. But I know you moved from New York to California, but what was the upbringing like for you? And when do you think you really caught that sports bug for the first time? I think I caught the sports bug pretty young. For me, I remember, well, first of all, growing up in New York, you know, um, it's a great sports city. Uh, and there was always a game on TV. And I, I, we, my whole family was watching, the men, the women, if, if it was a holiday and we were all at grandma and grandpa's house, the TVs were on and it was a very like boisterous occasion. And, um, but I do remember the 1986 Mets. I was okay. little and I remember how exciting that was and the drama and the flair. And my grandfather would sit at the kitchen table with, like four different newspapers and reading the sports pages. And that was really fun for me. And it was a way, in my opinion, it brought people together. Um, so it, it didn't really understand strategy necessarily at that time. I understood that it was exciting and it was fun and it brought people together. And then as I got older, I, I switched to the Yankees because I became wiser. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you did a great job uh, escaping New York without the accent. Oh my God. Well, the reason why Mitch is because when I moved to California and started high school, it was brutal. You know, kids, <laughs> kids, at some yeah. age, and kids would make fun of me and say, oh, say coffee, say dog, say walk. So I worked on getting rid of that accent a, a long time ago. And fortunately, I, I think it probably benefited me in my career too. Well, just another follow up on that. Does it come back yeah. if you go back to New York and you're with family? Does it come out more? Or is it just probably I think gone a little it? bit, a few words slip. Okay. Even there. <laughs> like it's an but ailment you know, or something. Like, to, you know, I, I feel bad saying this, but I, but I kind of hate it. <laughs> I hate the accent. I really do. <laughs> so it, it's my understanding as well that you kind of downplay your, your softball career a little bit. Like that was where it first started the, the active side that the sports professional I actually did play the sport at a pretty high high school level. Me? I, yeah. <laughs> well, I played lacrosse in New York. They didn't have lacrosse at my high school in California. So, yeah, I, I would like to tell you, Mitch, I was captain of the cheerleading squad, um, but I was on the softball team. And, you know, did you find somewhere what award I was given? No, I, I just I, I was hoping you would uh, reveal that. But <laughs> I'm sure it's a good one based on the lead up to this. It was the, the was it most improved or hardest working? It was like one of those. One that <laughs> most, you, yeah, most you improved. It's heart. like it was a great baseline. <laughs> we started out, you know, there's only only way to go is up. Um, yeah. And, and I know that I believe that if I have this right, the first time you ever really spoke into a microphone was doing PA work for the baseball team. Yeah. Wow. You really did your homework. I am, I'm impressed, Mitch. You're showing some strong research skills. I only get one shot at this. So, I mean, I gotta be prepared. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I appreciate it. And this is, this is fun. I mean, we, my high school baseball team, we were, we were pretty good. And our, we had a really small campus. So our baseball field was actually away from campus and it was on the coast in San Pedro. So it was, had this beautiful, like overlooking the ocean and my job or my, you know, I didn't, I didn't get paid for it, but I was the PA announcer. So, I, you know, coming up next, number nine, Joe Munoz. And like, <laughs> you know, I did the whole thing and yeah. I play music in between innings and, you know, do their walk-up songs. So it was fun. 
I enjoyed doing that. So the DJ too. I didn't, I didn't know that part. That's, yeah, that's pretty good. That's training you for the future as well. A lot of a lot of people have different answers to this question. It's when did you want to get involved in sports? And I think with your career, it's some added perspective. Did you want to be on air from a young age? Did you get to college at UC Santa Barbara and think, I just want to work in sports? What was the process like of trying to make a career of something in the industry? I had a teacher in high school, Mr. O'Keefe, and he got me involved in these speech competitions, you know, like the Elks Lodge and things like that, uh, little community things in town. And I started winning them. And then they pushed me to do the academic decathlon in high school. And I was winning the speech portions of that. So I thought, okay, maybe I'm, I'm decent at public speaking. What I'm also a passionate sports fan. So what would be a good career path? Now I'll say this, I was not as focused on what I wanted to do with this. I just knew that I, I enjoyed this and I enjoyed that and I could do something together. But I wish at a younger age, I would have paid closer attention to the people that were doing it uh, before me, you know, the Hannah Storms and things like that. Um, because I, I, I think I probably would have learned maybe had a little bit more focus early on. Because when I went to Santa Barbara, I didn't work in broadcasting or anything like that. So... Well, there's honesty to that too. I mean, it's like a cliche story. And I believe for some people, they knew like eight years old, they want to just get right into the business and, and figure out a way to do it. And having an approach and having, you know, having it be like a slow developing love as to just the first love, <laughs> I think is a good thing too. Not to get super deep with everybody. Yeah. And everyone has a different answer for that, huh? Yeah. There, I mean, there's a, I'd say the most popular answer is I fell in love with sports and I wanted to get involved as soon as possible some people were athletes and just wanted to keep it going and some just wanted to carve their own path and and didn't really matter what it was they just wanted to work in sports and and figure it out there's no real wrong answer to that question but I think what's your, your story how did you get into the sports world mine was the mine was the latter uh I was an athlete I was doing okay I mean ice hockey all that stuff I don't want to I don't want to rehash all that but I went to school for business and Walked into the radio station one day, curious, started, asked for how do I get my own show, got that, and kind of back-channeled it. I didn't go to a school, St. Louis University, very proud of the Billikens, but I didn't go to a school that has like the Syracuse broadcasting thing, so I just kind of took classes and worked at the radio station and whatnot, and by the time I graduated, I was working in, in another industry, but it kept kind of like gnawing at me, like I wonder if there's a way, so I started to just learn to edit and learn to produce and do literally odd jobs and stuff in sports until I moved out to California. So that's why I think we get along so well is because I have a non-traditional path to this as well. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people have non-traditional paths. And I think that the key is to like what you said, like learn everything you can about it, learn how to do this, that, the other thing, and then just keep pushing forward. I think, you know, if people are waiting for the ideal job to be, you know, propositioned to them, that that's not going to come, you know, my first job, like I said, in operations, you know, that, that wasn't what I thought I would be doing, but it was a foot in the door with a company that I wanted to be at in an industry I wanted to work in. So it was an entry point. So that was right out of college. It was an operations job in entertainment. Well, no, first my father said, just get a job with a 401k and health benefits. <laughs> so I took a job with Forbes magazine yeah. doing advertising sales. And I did that for a year and then they were shutting down our office. This is a fun story. Then I went to an entertainment headhunter 
and they placed me with a very well-known private investigator. He was nicknamed the sleuth to the stars, and I believe he just got out of prison. <laughs> he was in prison for a long time. If you want to look him up, Anthony Pelicano. I worked there for about four months. It was a strange environment, and I, I can't believe that in a professional like headhunting agency Anyway, it was a very <laughs> weird chapter, but um, you know, the clients were supposedly like Chris Rock and Madonna and Michael Jackson. And I would transcribe these forensic files and not know who I was listening to, but I, I would have to transcribe and send letters to attorneys and whatever. The guy ended up going to jail because he had all these illegal uh, bomb making materials in his <laughs> office. And he was very- was The same one that you were That's working when I started at? working at Fox Sports yeah. after I, wow. you know, yeah. Was <laughs> I just have a couple of things, a couple of like, thoughts on that. There was a lot that you just unpacked. Well, there, there was a lot. I, I think the the last part of that is: Did you bring that up with Fox Sports, or did they like that story, or did you just say yeah? No, I don't think out. I did. I, okay. When I had the, I remember so well. I, I had, I met with Barbara Horowitz, who is the HR person, <laughs> and I just got there, and I was like, "This is my dream job. This is where I want to work." please give me this job. I don't care what I do. I don't care what you pay me. Mm. I want to work here. And, um, you know, they, they brought me on and I, I felt this is a great story too, though. Um, I had gone to a wedding in San Diego and some of the people that were sitting at my table were working in sports broadcasting. And I said to them, this is what I want to do. You guys are living my dream. If there's ever a job opening. And this was like back in the time of fax machines. So a few months go by and one of the people that was at the table said, hey, we've got an opening at Fox Sports and Operations. Fax over your, your resume and we'll we'll see what we can do. So that was how I first got in at Fox was by randomly chatting someone up at, at a wedding who was seated at my table. It's but, crazy. But that's, I mean, that's the story, right? Like that's yeah. usually how it works, just persistence yeah. and timing. And uh, that's how I came out to California, honestly, was just looking for jobs. An NFL Network job opened up, which... By the way, I didn't even know this until looking into it, but you would fill in, we're jumping ahead, but you filled in on NFL Fantasy Live way back in the day. That was the first like TV show job I ever had. Was and I was hosting the show. What are you talking about filling in? Yeah, no, I, I know. <laughs> I, I shouldn't say filling in. You were one of the esteemed hosts. Yeah, it, that was a fun, yeah. that was a really fun show yeah. to work on. It was. Uh, I had never been... The one I did was the Sunday live show, like live, live on Red Zone channel before the uh, games. This was 2014. Yeah. And I had uh -huh. just never experienced anything like the chaos of a live show of a live control room. So that was, yeah, it was good. It's an adrenaline rush. It was a very big adrenaline rush for sure. But those guys were all great. Um, Jamie Maggio here on the Money Mitch Effect. I do want to ask about that Fox Sports, you know, foot in the door and everything that went into getting a chance there. What was that first role at Fox Sports and... I guess, how competitive was it back then? I know the industry has just taken off and they're still going strong, but the first job, what was it like and how competitive was it for you to perform uh, as an entry-level person there? I don't really think it was competitive per se. I feel like I was fortunate enough because I, I feel like I did stumble into that opportunity, but it also played to my strengths as being a very detail-oriented person, very organized. So that first role that I had was, my title was operations coordinator. So let's say for example, that we're going out to New Orleans to cover the Super Bowl and we're sending our show out there. I will 
order all of the office supplies and ship them out in these giant shipping tubs. I might even go on a site survey and help um, negotiate the terms of the contracts with the different hotels that we're going to have everybody staying at, negotiating rates, um, securing a set location, hiring local security guards, hiring local PAs. By the way, when the Super Bowl was in San Diego, I hired all my friends as PAs. It was really fun. And that that job and that understanding is just another notch in your belt, it seems like, of understanding how the industry works. Because now, you know, fast forward to years later, you're going on site, you're going to events. You understand that you don't just show up and TV just magically gets produced. There's no on and off button. There's a lot of people that make just the yeah. simplest broadcasts. And it was more than just also interacting with like the TV side of things and the executives, because then we're also interacting with, in that situation, the NFL and PR from the two teams. Um, I can't remember which Super Bowl it was. It may have been the one in San Diego. Drew Rosenhaus left his cell phone. Drew Rosenhaus, the big time NFL yeah. agent, had left his cell phone on our set uh, after the game. He like joined us to talk on the show and then he left his phone and then he'd gone to the Pro Bowl in Hawaii. So I had his phone and I overnighted it to the hotel in Hawaii. He never said thank you, by the way. Oh, that's yeah. Cause you could have <laughs> really, I mean, I don't know what would have been on that phone, but I'm sure that's, oh, that's, I a, know, right? that's a big uh, favor you did for him. Yeah. So that leads me to, you know, you're at Fox sports and then you start working with on the best damn sports show, which people of a certain age, myself, namely that show was, was crazy. And I mean that in a good way, like there was a lot going on. Yeah. Uh, it took a few years to find its footing. When it did, it was kind of insane. The, they had the personality mix, I think, in that mid to late run that was just ideal. What were those experiences like working on that show and just the cast of characters and the guests that were good, the inappropriate guests, just that whole experience? I'm saving it for the book, Mitch. I'm saving it for the book. <laughs> okay, we can get the PG version then. <laughs> you know what? It was it was a lot of fun. And I will say it was cool to be a part because it was it had a cult following and it was cool to be a part of something that was so weird and off the wall like that. They'd have these production meetings and literally like you could just say the most ridiculous things. You know, when Vince Young was a, an NFL draftee we're like let's have him come in we'll have him milk a cow then we'll, we'll create this obstacle course he's going to milk a cow then he's going to like jump into a, a pit of balls and have to get a football out of the bottom and if you know anything we could dream big and i don't know how we had the budget i mean ultimately we didn't because we went off the air but um we had this other one of our uh operations managers we put him in a meat suit and had him chased by german shepherds <laughs> a, i mean <laughs> so health insurance was that like covered there or how <laughs> yeah exactly i have no idea but he before lady gaga wore a meat suit our wow. uh operations manager wore a meat suit i just remember the guests like it was i mean the sports guests were great but it was entertainers it was, it was everybody it was jimmy carter jimmy, presidents were on there yeah presidents on that show uh one of one of my stories uh gene simmons from kiss I won't tell you how it got to this point, but he mooned me uh, in the hallway, just dropped his pants <laughs> and me. He also had a parakeet with him that day that crapped all over the makeup brushes. So that was pretty gross. Pamela Anderson, when she came on, she kissed. I remember that episode. I wasn't going to bring it up unless you brought it up. A couple times. Well, she jumped in the pool one time in a white shirt. That's when we were in Vegas. But there was another time when we were in the L.A. studio that she like kissed every guy that on her was way to the one I remember. I'm like, what, like, what is, is that show on the East Coast was on really late. 
So I'd be like, what oh. is this? What's going on? Did I, did I go to the movie channels by mistake? Channel segment again. <laughs> oh, no, it was uh, fascinating for sure. And the fact that it blended sports and entertainment, uh, I think it was around this time, Jamie, that based on what I've read about you, this is when you're starting to try to figure out if there's a way to transition to getting some of that in, in front of the camera opportunity. Was there a step that you were looking to make around that? Or I should ask what the first move was to try to do some on-camera work. Yeah, so I was fortunate that I had some allies um, at, at Best Damn Sports Show. I mean, many people that, that were willing to help me and offer me advice. And they allowed me to do a segment called the Best Damn Bonus, which aired uh, on the website. And basically the guests that were coming into the green room, I would interview them there a few questions and that would go on the website and then we'd walk them out to set so they would do the show. So it got me comfortable interviewing and, you know, coming up with questions and it, it was a nice uh, sort of icebreaker for me um, in terms of doing that portion of the job. Did you have some serious mentors by that point, people in the industry? Had you gotten in touch with people that had had on-air experience or hosting duties? Yeah. I mean, all the, all the people that I worked with, you know, Chris Rose is awesome. Um, another Cleveland oh, guy. Yeah. Another Cleveland guy. From well uh, he's from Shaker Heights. Yep. Uh, Rob Dibble was great. John Sally was great. Um, Rodney Pete. Those, those, they were all like really helpful. Leanne Tweed and I loved. Um, and then it was a lot of just, you know, producers and executives that I would talk to and sort of ask for their advice. Was the MBA job in Philadelphia, do I have that right? Was that the next step or was there a step in between before you got the chance to really shine and you know, become a full permanent on-air personality? Yeah, that, that was, that was the Philadelphia job was definitely what I consider to be a breakthrough opportunity for me because I was doing the best damn bonus. Then I was working for foxsports.com. Then I was also doing um, content for Sprint Mobile. Uh, on Sprint cell phones, there were different folders, entertainment, sports, and maybe news. So I was doing the yeah. content yeah. sports folder. Yeah. Uh, which was great. I mean, they would send me to, we traveled and, you know, there, it was a really nice uh, gig for me too, to go out to large events and all-star games and stuff. So, <clears throat> but yeah, I, you know, I ended up, Best Damn Sports Show went off the air. I lost my job and I was actually unemployed for 11 months before I got the job in Philadelphia, which wow. was a scary, yeah. But it, yeah, I, you know, and it, unfortunately it's not a uncommon thing in the industry, exactly. even with established people, you see that, that it kind of goes and ebbs and flows, yeah. but very fortunate you were able to not just land on your feet, but hit that breakthrough when you did regain employment. Was there, an, and I know the adrenaline had to be crazy, but was there a, oh my God, this is real moment with the first game where the nerves a factor, was it a slow buildup? Because I know a lot of work that goes into being on camera and being, you know, getting in that opportunity, but what was the process like leading up to and then ultimately that first game, first time on the sideline? I don't even remember. It was, I was nervous. Um, I was excited, but I was nervous and, you know, kind of like feeling like I, maybe I, didn't belong with that opportunity. I, I felt like grateful, but um, the moment that for me sort of, I'll always remember is the first year I covered the NBA playoffs for TNT. 
and I was assigned to the Pacers Bulls series in the first round. And the way that they would do work it is they put a reporter on the series and then the play-by-play -play and analyst would kind of like rotate around. Yeah. Um, so I'm doing a game in Chicago in that series and my analyst is Steve Kerr. Mm -hmm. Now, a 90s Knicks fan, <laughs> I was very familiar with Steve Kerr. Yeah. And going into that arena in Chicago, working with Steve Kerr, watching him interact with all the security guards and everybody who he still knew and everyone loved him. And it, it, it was, I just sat back and I kind of observed it and I'm like, holy crap, this is awesome. <laughs> and that was a really exciting moment for me and something I'll always, I'll never forget like how I felt in that moment. So appreciative of, of where I'd gotten to in my career. It was a cool moment. It's great that you say that too, because those are the moments, right? When you have a step to, when you have a chance to just take it in and look around when it's not necessarily the on-camera moment, but it's the, you know, take a breath, look around and be like, what is this? Is this, you oh, know, yeah. is this real life anymore? Oh yeah. Was one of those guys you worked with, uh, the soon to be retiring Marv Albert? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Actually, was Marv on, Marv may have even been on that game. Wow. I, I wish, I wish I would have taking more time to chat with Marv. That had to be heaven for you. I mean, look, I'm not a New Yorker. I love and appreciate Marv from the national scene, but I can only oh, imagine as a Knicks fan what that must have been like. You know, and Marv has that New York accent. He has that old school voice that literally, it, you know, if, if you were going to listen to a sportscaster in a movie, like Marv's voice is it, you know? And I just, I just always thought this is what sportscasters sounded like, but Marv is such a unique and special voice and, you know, was the, the backdrop in, in the living room for my childhood. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really cool to work with Marv and just knowing that he's a legend in what he does, especially particularly in basketball. And then to have him say, oh, send it over to Jamie Maggio, you know, and I'm like, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, what was I going to say? Don't forget <laughs> everything in that moment. Yeah, yeah, it's that's incredible. What did he do, 50 years, roughly? I mean, that's what we're looking at for his career. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. He's going to be 80 next month. Incredible. Outside of, I think, the and NBA. he's done it all. Yeah. He's really, he's done it all, which is really. Yeah, multiple oh, sports. Oh, yeah, Yogi's in the, in the picture. Multiple Sorry. sports, the NBA, of course. Uh, I think Saved by the Bell, the college years, he was on that too. So just, he really did do it all. Uh, Jamie Maggio here on the Money Mitch Effect. You know, speaking of that, I, I think this is a good time to interject that. You, you're a native by birth New Yorker, so you still ride with all the sports teams from the hometown? I guess you're kind I, of NBA I, objective now because you've been in, you know, your Clippers employee. I'm you know. excited for the Knicks and finally getting back to the playoffs. And I will say most hardcore with the Giants and then like Knicks-Yankees sort of battle it out at, at at the two spot, but I, you know, and, and you might be able to speak to this too. When you, when you work in sports for as long as we have, and you, you start to root for people that are good to you, people that you know are good people. Um, and it becomes less about, you know, your childhood fandom and more about, you know, the relationships that you have with people and wanting to see people enjoy success. That being said, <laughs> <laughs> that being said, I do still scream at my TV on Sundays for the New York Giants. Yeah, I, I would say something I want to say on that in just a second. But I, I would say that 
for me, like I've grown up a Browns fan, that's not going to change. Um, but what I noticed, your example's right, is in a sport like tennis, getting the chance to talk to some of these players now, you know, and, and the fact that there's turnover with individual sports, you know, every so often. Now right. it is more of just who do I get a chance to see as a good person? Who are you rooting to succeed? And when multiple good people play, I'm just hoping for, you know, the best athletic performance, so to speak. But if there is the case of an athlete that's maybe not nice or I know is a little standoffish, that might be different. I wouldn't name names, but, you know, that does happen, unfortunately, too. The thing about you and the Giants, though, I know you're a diehard fan, but some, I guess, would say temperamental. I, I think there may have been there may have been an incident last year where uh, the team was, uh, wasn't was doing hot and there was maybe a, uh, a giveaway you were thinking about, just uh, giving away old gear. I don't know if that actually happened, but... <laughs> No, I think I saw that happen actually, where it was just yeah, the dark on days. Instagram. I was just ready to like dump it all. Um, but no, I didn't. I kept it all. I just put it away and didn't look at it. Um, the funny thing is my friend is a, she's a reporter with the giants and she has this, she sent me this really cool sweatshirt. That's got like not rhinestones, but like sequins on the front and it's like giants it's really cool and it still has the tags on it i haven't worn it yet because they don't deserve it <laughs> that's a, that's <laughs> a diehard fan that's, they need yeah. to get back to the winning ways yeah yeah that's a diehard fan for sure well you had it's impossible for me not just you know of a, of a sad franchise the browns that are on the way up but in general it's hard for people to be sympathetic towards the Giants because you had two just improbable Super Bowl runs and and one of the the best storybook endings in franchise history that's right but the most two recent you know the Eli Manning ones nothing will ever let me put it this way you've got a lot of life left to live nothing is ever going to top the 2008 Super Bowl like you cannot top beating an undefeated Tom Brady you know what I'll tell you what Mitch I went to that Super Bowl and I was working for Fox the game was on Fox that year and my responsibilities, that was the first year that they did a real like kind of like high end pregame with like the red carpet. They really played up like the celebrity aspect. Um, it was hosted by Jillian Barbary and Ryan Seacrest. And I remember I was Jillian stand in the day before and I'm like there with Ryan. I'm like, this is so cool. I'm on this red carpet. This is like game day, whatever. I remember seeing Michael Strahan, who was a regular on Best Damn Sports Show. And I just saw like a look in his eye that week. And I, I felt confident. I felt really confident going into the game. Wow. And as soon as that red carpet show was done leading up to kickoff, I was done with work. So I had gotten one ticket to the game and I went to the Super Bowl by myself. I had nosebleed seats. I ended up like walking down to a lower level and standing in the back and I found some other Giants fans and watching that game and David Tyree and the, that catch, like you didn't even appreciate You're getting it. emotional now and talking you, about it. I am gonna get emotional. because it, 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 Honestly, like I, I I'm not embarrassed to say this. I cried for like two weeks after that Super Bowl because yeah. every time I heard a highlight on the radio or something on TV or whatever, it was like it was I could not believe the run that they had that year and to to beat the Patriots who had been undefeated to, you know, the the whole game itself. It was just crazy. And I loved that team and I felt so fortunate to be there. Rewind to 2001. Yankees Diamondbacks yeah. World Series. Mm-hmm. I get a ticket to Game Seven. I had been working on a football show that that was we had to be on set at like three in the morning, right? 
after, as soon as the show was done, I got in the car with some coworkers. We drove to Phoenix because I got a credential for game seven. And I'm like, this is my first World Series. Like, of course the Yankees are gonna win. And that is when, on the very rare occasion, Mariano Rivera had a blown save. He did. He did. Uh, I don't want to talk about it anymore, but that Giants win made up for the heartache of seeing the Yankees lose in that fashion. The heartache of not winning four straight World Series, just three. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sad for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sad. They had a terrible drought of what, like eight years between 2001 and 2009. You'd think it was like 100 years based on Yankee reaction, but yeah, I, I did. I, I went to 2009. Also, I took my sister. That was cool. Yeah. Game six. The Philly series. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was, uh, I heard Yankee fans saying it was like ending a curse. It's like, it was an eight year curse. Like, let's just be real about it. <laughs> um, kind of getting back to the, the career stuff, transitioning to, or I guess adding to your plate, you know, more duties and stuff. The fact that you've been able to have steady work as a sports anchor at KCAL channel nine at CBS, which definitely gave you more, I think, name recognition in this city, but is a different type of duty. How did, how did that come to be? And what are some of the big differences, some of the stuff you had to learn about being a regular sports anchor for a news station? Um, you know, I think it's different because it's a lot of teleprompter, uh, that, and that is a different skill set. Um, it's also, you know, reacting to breaking news and, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a little bit different, but it's something that I also enjoy doing. And it's nice when you're, you know, we talk about the adrenaline of like a live show and, or, you know, even being at a live game, like it, there is an adrenaline rush in, in doing live TV. It's a little bit more calm because it's a controlled studio environment, but yeah, that, that was, uh, oddly enough, when I left the Sixers, I started working at KCAL like back in 2010 came back. So that was what brought you back out here. Well, no, I, when the basketball season was over, they said, we'd love the Sixers said, we'd love to have you back next year, but we don't really have any work for you in the meantime, because we already have our Phillies and Eagles and flyers that, you know, coverage. So there was no guarantee for work. So I sort of rolled the dice and came back to LA where at least I had a strong network and was able to, start working at KCAL then. Um, and then I left for a number of years and then went back. So. Like that gamble though. That's like a gambler's mentality. You're like, I could just you wait it on out. yourself, yeah. you know, that's true. That's true. Um, and I think it's given you the chance to, in addition to the stand up hits and the broadcasts each night, some of the long form interviews as well that have you've been able to open up and not just have the couple, you know, 30 second sideline interview. You can actually have some deeper dialogue. Yep. Totally. And that's one of the things I really enjoy about it. Um, I love doing those feature stories and it's not necessarily the feature story with the star athlete. It's sitting down with someone who, you know, the viewer at home would never have heard about and telling their story. That's a really rewarding aspect of that job. It's great. And I, and I do enjoy watching that when, when you're not obviously bumped by car, which you have a better attitude than I think most people because you're having fun with it. You go on, you're going on Instagram and letting everybody know, but, um, it has to be a little frustrating, right? Like I did all this work, I did all this research and you know, there's some guy in like a, in, in a pickup truck that's just swerving in and out of lanes on the 405 you know, just causing havoc. I have multiple hits in a night. So 
if if I don't get on that time because of a police pursuit, I'll get on later, or maybe I would have gotten on earlier. So chances are I still get on at some point. I think there's been one, maybe two occasions where both of my, or like all of my hits were bumped because of a, a chase. And, you know, I don't know. I, I, then I rewear the outfit the next day. <laughs> oh, that, see, there it is. It's a positive spin. If it's make its on your debut, I can recycle. <laughs> that's, the, that's the deal. We have, a, we have an image to uphold here. Uh, the, uh, just going back quickly for the, to the NBA sideline gig, is there an approach that you've developed over time in terms of interviewing players and coaches when it's, it's live, we, we mentioned the adrenaline rush, you, you have one take to get it right. And yeah. if you don't, especially in this era, it's probably going to live on the internet. Yeah. Um, no, my approach is just, I mean, you have to really follow the game you have to see the storylines. You have to know what the storylines are that are leading into the game. And then, you know, I, I generally try to react based on what the game gives me. Um, you can't really script it out in the third quarter, you know, like oftentimes it's coming down to those final minutes, final seconds, and that will dictate the line of questioning. When I've talked to students, college students, it drives me crazy when they're like, oh, the producer tells you what to say, right? Like, no, the producer does not tell you what to say. Uh, if, if you're lucky, you know, depending on every arena has a different setup. I really enjoy having a stats monitor. You don't always have that. Maybe sometimes I'll say to the producer, like, you know, what was the, you know, what did he finish with? What was his line and get stats information. But other than that, no, you're on your own out there. And it's a, that's exciting. Um, and I think just being prepared is the, the best tool you can have in your arsenal is, is being prepared because then that's going to translate into having confidence and, and knowing what you're doing out there. How do you overcome or bounce back from a performance that could maybe not be terrible but in your mind to your standards wasn't good how do you bounce back and, and move on to the next one you got another game the next day you know that's that's all you can do and everyone you know it's gonna happen you're gonna have a mistake you're gonna have an off night it happens and you just have to you have to just push forward I remember one time I, you know, I was in Portland, uh, Clippers Blazers playoff series and the PR guy told me Chris Paul had a um, metatarsal injury. Now I'm going to mess it up again, but it was metacarpal, not metatarsal, metacarpal, but in the loud arena at the Moda Center, I didn't hear exactly. He didn't text it to me, so I didn't see the word written out and I went on the air and reported the wrong one. One is a hand injury. Yeah. One is a foot injury. So I, I said it wrong. Cause I, I'm like, what, what is it? It's a metacarpal anyway. So that, you know, after that, I was kicking myself. I was embarrassed by it. You know, someone online was like, yeah, you're not a doctor, Like, but you just have to learn yeah. how to tune that stuff out. So you have the online voice pretty good, pretty down. too. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's how everybody online sounds. Uh, a couple more things with Jamie Maggio here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, it's it's been a great chat with you for sure. Um, you've been, you know, not to date your career here, but ten plus years since that since that Sixers debut on the sidelines, and yeah. there's been some changes, obviously, in the industry. What's something that you've seen from working in it pretty consistently? How the game, maybe not the game itself, but just the the landscape of broadcasting and, and journalism in that regard have changed. Well, you know, I think Twitter became a big thing, like right when I was sort of starting in Philadelphia. Um, 
And I think you saw this rush, right, to get information out there. And I'll still use Twitter as a source of information, you know, if I'm looking for news or something. But that rush to be the first, I think, was damaging for for people, you know, like instead of being accurate, instead of, you know, looking and making sure you've got all the right information, people would quickly just send something out. I think that that that's something I've noticed. Then also like all these different forms and platforms and streaming services and all these different ways to watch a game or to get your information and consume content has created more opportunities. So, you know, that's that's something I've seen, too. And, you know, this pandemic kind of tightened the purses and has had an economic effect on 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 every business, of course. But I think there's an ebb and a flow and, and everything will come back around. Yeah, the pandemic really just highlighted, I think, what everybody's taken for granted, just those little things about sports and you know life in general, really, that you just take for granted and didn't really appreciate. But it is true. I mean, I think social media is the biggest biggest change in the last 10 years from growing to its infancy to exploding. Then the negatives get highlighted. And I think we're we're getting to a better place. The platforms are there and just athlete access is changing because it used to be interviews like the ones you give are the only way to hear what they say. And now they're mm-hmm. kind of taking control of their narrative for right or wrong. And I think that's been the thing I've noticed that the athletes are able to kind of just go public and be able to share their own voice in different ways now. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, uh, I do want to, before I wrap this up, I do want to talk about some of the other interests that you have, because I know there's that dog Yogi that's been staring at me on this Zoom (laughs) for a while, but uh, no, I know you're a proud dog mom. and uh, It is. Look, I didn't even plan that. I saw that and it is rescue dog day. But who rescued who though? Because I'm kidding. That's that's the case yeah. with with every yeah. with every rescue dog. Um, yeah, he's the best. Yeah, if for those that don't know Yogi, Yogi Berra. I don't know if you knew that. I, I'll be perfectly honest. I had a feeling <laughs> that, <laughs> that I didn't know that for sure, but I had a good idea. Someone from New York has a dog named Yogi. Chances are, I can kind of put two and two together. But You're no. smart. <laughs> Yogi, Yogi's great, and uh, you know you're you're fully established, fully entrenched in the South Bay. And I know that's part of you know your daily routine is going by the beach, walking Yogi, and and I yep. think big into yoga as well, if I have that right. And just you know you're fully embracing the uh, the South Bay beach life. I, I I have fully embraced California lifestyle. I'll say that. Um, yeah, I, I you know I I still claim my New York teams and my family is still in New York, but I really do love living in Southern California. I think the weather and the people being outside all the time, uh, the beach has a more relaxed vibe in my opinion than the city. It's a little bit um, less stressful um, in that way, but yeah, it, this is this is definitely home now. How quickly did you? feel yourself getting softer when you started going back to New York. For me, it was like a couple of years and then I started yeah. to feel it and get called out by my friends. You know, I hadn't seen because of the pandemic, I hadn't been home in a while and I, I finally went home for Mother's Day. And I said to my sister, I will only come to New York in the spring and the fall. I can no longer do the heat in the summers and the bugs and the humidity or the bitter cold winters. The, I've got a, a, a small window, but yeah, I think I got soft after a couple of years too. Yeah, it was about, I think it was about four or five years ago. I went to a wedding in December back in St. Louis. And it was like five degrees outside. And that's when nope. I'm like, this is, this is too much. 
Uh, and I know your love for music is another thing because you you've been very adamant about that, and you were the one that told me to watch the David Foster documentary, actually, which was amazing. Yeah, did you so like it? I did, I did. I didn't even realize all the all the stuff that he had his hands in, um, but it was great. And I know that music is kind of like your low key passion uh, outside of the sports realm. Mm-hmm. I know. I wish I could play an instrument. Um, too bad I didn't use the last year plus learning how to play something. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I had the problem. Like, I, I played a little piano as a kid, but I could never sing, and that drove me nuts. So, I mean, I'm just, you know, singing in my car when no one's watching. Piano? Not, no, I, I didn't stick. I could, I could dabble a little bit, but I can read music. I could play a little bit. I have some songs I remember, but this, is, this needs to be your new next project. I know. Just get up on stage and just play piano, you know? Yeah. Just, I mean, like, be, it's like you're being like a real lady killer. You go to some, like, swanky hotel bar. <laughs> yeah. They've got a piano in the lobby. Just a little just, Richard for a little bit. You know, like Bill Murray, little Bill Murray and Groundhog's Day. Just play a couple <laughs> tunes. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, you're bringing up a lot of good points. I don't know how <laughs> I haven't thought of this before. Food for thought. Food for thought. Definitely. But, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to get to go to a concert again, see some live music. Um, I'm excited for that. The last thing I want to ask you about, Jamie, is the – Big Shot Bob podcast stuff that you've been yeah. doing because obviously anybody of a of a certain from a certain era knows what Robert Robert Ory meant to the game of basketball and you working at at Spectrum getting to know him and and him as a TV personality is as good as advertised too. What's that experience been like working with him on his podcast? Uh, it's fun, you know. Rob is such a big personality and he's really just he's a fun guy and I think for him to have a podcast was such a, he wasn't on social media. He he didn't do any of that. And then during the pandemic, I don't know if his wife pushed him into it, but he he opened up a, you know, a, a Twitter account and he, he got on Instagram and then he got a podcast. And it's a, I think it's a nice outlet for him because he's like, I mean, the, the guy has stories, you know, he yeah. has stories and he's got, he knows a lot of people and he's got a funny kind of perspective. Like he's kind of a country bumpkin who then played on the biggest stage and has also been an ambassador for the NBA traveling the world. So he's, he's got, he's an interesting dude. Yep. I, I feel like the, the players and the people that joined social media later figured it out. Like Tom Brady was like that on Twitter too, where it's oh, like, they're just waiting yeah. for you. And then if you come out late and instead of trying to be first, and come out with a bang like Rory and Brady did. That's just way better. <laughs> Got to give props to my quarterback. He's pretty yeah. funny on, on Twitter. I think yeah. he signed up when he retired and he's, he's hilarious. Yeah. It was him doing push-ups. That was the one that I'm like, okay, I guess Eli's got a personality. I think, I, I think he'd been downplaying it for a while um, for yeah. sure. But no, it's uh, that's exciting. And, and I was happy to see Rudy Tamjanovich give a shout out to uh, Robert Rory yeah. Hall of Fame yeah, speech. That was awesome. Uh, last thing, Jamie Maggio, um, do have to ask you now that you're working in tennis, are you trying to get into that game as well? Are you starting to follow it more in the last, you know, a couple of years? Yeah. I mean, I always followed the, like the grand slams. Um, but I'm definitely, you know, paying closer attention now. What I want to do, Mitch, is I want to learn how to play. Oh, I think, I think okay. more so than golf. Golf is a good game to play as you get older. I think it's a good business type of tool. But for tennis, I think that's really a good way to stay in shape, um, yeah. you know, and active. So that's, that's what I'd like to do that and play the piano. 
So piano and <laughs> tennis. Okay, that's that's pretty that's pretty reasonable. I mean, nobody's no sport has grown more than tennis during the pandemic. And I can speak as an average tennis player my whole life that yes, it's a great workout. It's the best yeah. way to just stay fit and you know, golf's more of a recreational drinking sport as well, like a social event. But no, it's uh it's been good having you here at Tennis Channel as well because now we have more of a name brand here in the city of LA. I don't think I'm down selling this too, you know, 200,000 plus followers online and, you know, a mainstay in the game, which I'm not selling you short there. That's very kind of you. Thank you. And it's a, uh, it's a pleasure to, to chat with you in this kind of format. So thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Jamie Maggio. Thanks for joining the show. Uh, we'll be in touch. Everybody out there, uh, keep following the show, support the show. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google play. Check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page and follow me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21. Need all the help I can get keeping up with Jamie Maggio on social media. But uh, Jamie, thanks again for joining the show and we'll be chatting again soon. My pleasure. I'm feeling smooth, ain't nothing gonna freeze me. Yeah, my emotions and harmony, yeah. Locked in rocket, straight to the top, no intention to stop it. Move the time with the melody. Sunset the sunlight, feeling butter sky light, right? Continue to flow as I remain smooth as butter. But what can I say? I know I do it like no other. I know I'm smooth, but every day is a silky day. Fast galactic evolution, I'll do it the Milky Way. You didn't hear it, I'll repeat it back. I'm flowing like a waterfall, expansive like the sea. In fact, acoustic bars, yeah, I remain G with that. As we travel in coast to coast, like the D is whack. I sit back, relax as I meditate. Lightness in my being got me feeling like a featherweight. Uh, just watch, I might levitate. You unclear like a CD skip, let me set the record straight. My name Dash, and I'm part of a brotherhood that AB flow, and every girl says the love is good. It ain't hard to get myself in that groove, I just gotta remember when I'm feeling smooth, ain't nothing gonna phase me. Yeah, my emotions and harmony, yeah. Locked in rocket, straight to the top, no intention to stop it. Move the time with the melody, yeah.